0: Welcome to this episode of Woman to Woman Podcast Series. Our guest today is Laurie Patalia. a thought leader, futurist speaker, and transformer of people, cultures, and workplaces. Laurie is the CEO of Aligned at Work. She's on a personal mission to wake up the leaders of organizations who think they can delay inevitable change. She's a connector and strategizer who believes in balancing people and profit in business for a sustainable future. Hi Lori, welcome to Women to Woman podcast. So excited to have you with us here today. I'm very excited to be here. So for our listeners, Lori, if you can just briefly tell us what do you do today? You are at Aligned at Work. And I am the CEO of Aligned at Work because when one
1: has one's own company, you can create your own title. And so I've been out on my own now since 2015, um, come out of banking and finance and savings alone industry and all that for about 37 years. And Aligned at Work was really about being able to help companies balance people and profit. And it's evolved into this thing where it's the intersection of diversity and inclusion and great leadership, because I don't believe that you can pull those two things apart anymore. They used to be looked at separately, but you can't be a great leader if you're not with an eye on diversity and inclusion.
0: When you were young, this was not something that was very in the mainstream. And and this is something that has really evolved in the last few years. So let's take a little step back and see growing up what What was your career ambition? What did you want to be? Gosh, I think if I had a career
1: ambition, it was to be a teacher, which ironically, I ended up doing and still do. But it didn't look, you know, back when you're little, all you know, is what you know around you and so I thought I would probably be a school teacher and eventually I thought I would be a home economics teacher um, which now I think might be called consumer science it's you know all the cooking and sewing and things that girls were supposed to do back in the day and um, I was good at all that so I kind of figured it would make a great way I, I liked my home economics teachers and I think that influenced it a lot but you know once upon a time somebody asked me what did you do when you were little what did you play with and I said well, I had a cash register and I would line up all my stuffed animals and dolls and things like that. And, and then I would teach them things and I would like work the store. So I've ended up in retail bank teller, you know, doing the cash for the cash register kind of thing, and then ended up in learning and development, leadership development.
0: Who knew? <laughs> That's interesting, though. So do you think there is always a link between what we aspire to be as children or play with and get where we end up? I think sometimes, I don't think all the time, but sometimes when people are struggling with that, like, what
1: am I supposed to be when I grow up? The question comes up of, well, what did you love when you were little? And I will tell you, I thought at one point I wanted to be a paleontologist specifically in Egypt when I was about eighth grade. And then I, knew that I would probably have a family and I don't like to get hot and sweaty and dirty. It's a little tough to do that without getting hot, sweaty and dirty. Anybody who really shaped your life? I think my father really had a strong impact on me. My mother did as well, but it was a lot of mixed messages. My mother was very much like hearth and home and what girls are supposed to do, take care of things at home. And my dad was definitely a uh, uh, like, no, you need to go to college and you need to have a job and you need to be able to support yourself and all that. So They raised me with some strong values and strong morals. They did not point me in any specific direction other than you need to go to college. And then once I got in, I'm trying to think of all the people that actually impacted me. Gosh, there were so many. I had a couple of early bosses that really supported me and pushed me along. And we would now call them mentors. But I never knew that word till I was probably 20 years into my career. You know, it wasn't spoken about that way. But I had a number of mentors along the way that were people that were probably Probably only maybe five to eight to 10 years older than me, as my brothers were. And they would sort of guide me along and say, no, you should do this. And it was that perspective of being a little bit older and knowing what I didn't know yet, what hadn't happened to me yet.
0: You know, along the way, while you have mentors, you also kind of build friendships. And that's really the start of your network. You know, We all have our networks, but women especially hesitate to extend that network. And sometimes even if we extend it, we don't nurture the network as much. So Mm. what does networking mean to you? And what would you advise our listeners in terms of how should they network? You know, it's interesting. My husband and I
1: have this conversation a lot because I'm more on the extrovert side, although not as much as people would think. And he's much, much more on the introvert side, like probably all the way to the introvert side. And it's really uncomfortable for him. And I just had a conversation with him the other day. And I said, I did tell you those stories about when I got physically ill, going out networking when I was young and having to go out to meetings and stuff and represent the savings alone that I worked for. Thankfully, there was a guy down the street that again, about five years older than me that would take me with him and help me by introducing me to people and stuff. I told him that I needed to do this. I think he knew I was absolutely no competition to him. You know, he was the commercial banker. I was the savings alone person. We weren't after the same people that helped me a lot. And it was the sort of birthplace of networking for me. I've always had some friends around and I do stay in touch Facebook with, you know, high school people. I'm now on the other side of the nation from where I grew up. Networking is now such a natural to me. I enjoy connecting with people. And then I enjoy connecting them into my network and with other resources and things like that. So I think if it's uncomfortable, I think you have to push through that and just keep doing it until it gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And it might never be easy. When I go out to physical meetings now that we're, I don't even want to say through the pandemic, but after being in lockdown, now you and I met out at a at a live event and I think it's about getting yourself out there. I don't always feel good about going. I get myself dressed up. I put on a little bit of makeup and then off I go. And so I don't know that it ever gets like super, super easy for people, but it gets easier. And then the nurturing part is something I could do better at that. That's uh, because I'm always new, 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 new. I'm the next shiny light person. And I could do a better job at circling back and nurturing relationships and keeping in touch. So Mm -hmm. just
0: taking a step back, if you had to say there were maybe um, some major chunks of your career that kind of led you to your next chapter, so to say, what would those be? And how did each one lead you to the next one? Well, coming out of high school, I did
1: not go right into college as my parents expected me to. I actually got pregnant in my, at the end of my junior year of high school, had my son in the middle of my senior year of high school day after Christmas, convenient of him to be born on a break and went back and finished with my class, which uh, as I like to say, simply was not done in 1973. But my teachers really wanted me to get the education and made it easier for me to do that. So I finished with my class. At that point, I went into I'd stayed home with him a couple of years. And then I went into things like retail, factory work, things that would make it easy for me to sort of have the earlier hours and My mother was babysitting for me. I married his dad a couple of years later. That first bit before age 21, blue collar, I guess I would say. And I grew up in a town. I grew up on a farm, but my dad went to the city. He farmed the farm nights and weekends. And then he went to the city to work for the railroad, which was 40, 45 miles away. So it was a long commute. Fortunately, there was trains that went there, but he had to drive a long way to get to those trains. So circling back, chunk number one, you know, really like do the work. And then from there, I went into being a bank teller. And I remember going and talking to my dad's second cousin who worked in a bank and saying, I'm good at math, but I don't really enjoy it. And she said, it's not about the math. It's about the people. So I went in as a bank teller, did that for about three years, was promoted to a branch manager. And then my, one of my first mentors was a guy named Rich Mears. And Rich actually asked me to run the branch system at about age 25. And I had these older people that were 40 years old reporting to me. And I learned how to be the young leader of older people. And then eventually the older leader of younger people. And, and that happens overnight, by the way, one day you're the youngest and then you're the oldest, like there it is. And that led me into Rich actually asked me to teach banking courses at night. And I did. And out of those banking courses at night came a love of learning and development. Now I was pushed there kicking and screaming. I did not want to go into learning and development full-time. Somebody saw it in me saw a way to give me an equal promotion. I was trying to track up the branch system and other people kept getting the promotions I wanted. And I ended up over here. They gave me a VP title of learning and development, training and development at the time. And from there, uh, I hated it. Like it was not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be over there. It was everything I needed. It was my ultimate vocation. It was an opportunity to learn soft skills I had not learned. So I was very much in this command and control leadership style and role. I treated people well, but it was still, you do this, you do that kind of very directive stuff. And I think people would say I was, you know, compassionate to them and things like that, but I don't really know. It was a long time ago. And then I ended up in this role where I had no authority over anybody but myself. And it would be nice if they came into class and they wanted to learn something, but they didn't have to, if they really didn't want to. And I learned soft skills negotiation, how to influence people as opposed to how to command them. And then I ended up in and out of that role until I ultimately landed up in leadership development. And again, I was in and out of that role for a little while, but that is what really lights me up working with leaders and teams and all of that. During one of those iterations, my bank was taken over by the government. I had to learn a lot in a quick amount of time there and actually help other smaller savings and loans get in regulations and all that. It was during that time that the entrepreneurial bug bit me in 1993. And I didn't get out of banking until 2015. So 22 years later, I finally did what I ultimately had decided because, and I think many women do this. I decided that while I didn't have the degrees yet, I didn't have the certifications. It was getting in my way. uh, Once this bank went under, I was out in the job market and having a hard time finding a job because I was out against people with master's degrees. And because I was a young mom, I never went to college. So I started back to college in 92. I ultimately ended up, you know, going until I got a master's degree. But back then it was like, how am I going to do this? And how do the how do the big organizations work? And I went and got a job in one of those organizations, Vanguard, and then ultimately Wells Fargo. So I went from tiny organizations to big and saw both sides of that coin and learned a lot and got a lot of models and processes from those big organizations. And then they funded my degrees as opposed to out of pocket, which it initially was. So that was kind of chapter two. Then chapter three is really aligned at work. So when I jumped out, I was a life coach and I never wanted to work with those corporate people again. And then I started to heal the wounds of that and realized that I couldn't leave leadership and teams and all that stuff behind. I've always been teaching inclusive leadership, but didn't really have a name for it. Then with the George Floyd murder, a company asked us to come in fully and do diversity, equity, inclusion work for them. And we did. And I brought a, a person in to partner with me on that, uh, Tish Times. And we ended up now doing it together as a line of business. And now over the past couple of years, it's like aha moment was, you can't do leadership without diversity. You can't do diversity without leadership.
0: It has to be one thing. I have so many questions. So I'll, I'll just go <laughs> in the order they came to me. First one would be, you know, you have done a lot of leadership training mm-hmm. and you said, you know, how you kind of had a certain set of skills. And then once things change, your role changed, you had to develop new soft skills. Mm -hmm. Are there certain skills that you have seen either in your career or along the way teaching other young leaders? That you would recommend people to start working on that would really help them throughout their future? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is self awareness and emotional intelligence because organizations tend to be pretty good at saying, follow me, here's how you run the business, and here's this report, and these are the metrics and these are the dashboards. And it was Six Sigma at the time, but whatever the thing is that the company is following, they tend to do pretty well with the how to do the work of it even if it is just a go follow me and see it. But if you have no good leadership role models and a lot of leaders get where they are because they're great individual contributors, they really are good at specializing in whatever it is they do. And then they're like, I always say that my first promotion came because I was the best darn teller they'd ever had. Yeah, I like to think so. Then I got promoted into leadership because I was talking to people saying, why aren't we doing it this way? What about that? How come we do it this way? So I was asking all the questions and critically thinking, but what I see a lack of a lot of times is this self-awareness and emotional intelligence and in leaders that leads to the skills of compassion and which, you know, people know, whether a leader is in it for the power, the money, and or the people, and maybe it's all, but as humans, we tend to look at a leader and go like, he's only in it for the money. She's only in it for the money. She's, she's in it for the power, whatever it is. And we put that label on them. And then even when they are trying to be human, it doesn't come off that way to us because we've already formed an opinion of who they are and what their motivation is, but it may or may not be that way. Self-awareness is the underpinning of all of that. I, I'm an assessment junkie. So I'll take any assessment that not so much anymore, but for a long time, if you said I can do this free assessment for you, I'm like, sign me up, learned about myself along the way and had leaders who would pull me aside when I was getting to something, whatever it is, or wasn't doing something a certain way, they would let me know. And it was that feedback that was really the the thing that helped me understand who I am and what drives me.
0: So the second question that I had in our focus groups, the biggest concern, especially mid-career women who had like young families, they're like, it's so hard to manage a baby and a career. Now, in your case, you had a baby, you actually still worked and you went back to school. Like it's a lot more. So what kept you going? And Were there certain things that really helped you navigate this tough time? I think that I couldn't have done it without my mother. That makes me kind of tear up. She stepped in
1: every bit along the way. You know, honestly, I think a lot of it is the childcare dilemma and that we pay so much for childcare. And I had this person that, oh my Lord, I think I gave her $15 a week and she put it into a savings account for him. Couldn't have done it without her. I don't know how people do it these days. I don't. I had one and then said, okay, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. I don't think I'm doing that again. So I really just put my energy into that one. But honestly, if she hadn't been there, there's no way. And I was because I was 17 when I had him, and then I got married at 19. I finished school and then I had him. And it was not until he went to college that I went to college. But then I got into this routine of how do you work all day and then go to school at night? And at the time, I was living really far, like at least an hour from any college. So I was commuting an hour to work, maybe driving another hour and then another hour and fitting that all in. I was getting a long one about five and a half hours of sleep a night. I don't advise that. A lot of caffeine and junk food. Um, And I don't advise that either. Thankfully, I have good roots of health in my family on the female side. So I got through it. I've learned over time, you only have a certain amount of those nights. But I really feel for young families because there are those times when the kids are awake all night and then you've got to go do something. One of the good things about the pandemic is it brought that stuff right up to the surface. The bad news is, you know, where we met at the event that we met at, I think I had a statistic in the where are we now? Now, and I think the number was something like women lost either 156,000 jobs or 165,000 jobs through the pandemic where men gained 16,000. And oftentimes during the pandemic with kids learning from home and everything, many of the articles that I read talked about women, even though, you know, he and I make the same money if, if you're in a heterosexual couple, it, he never thought about or his job never thought about him taking time to manage school at home and all that it was me that it fell to and i think a lot of times that's the case with women we run we run work and we run at home and we're expected to do all that and make one invisible to the other, not bring work home, not bring home to work. And then all of a sudden we're working in our home offices as I am here. Everything's around us all the time. We got to manage all that.
0: Okay. So the last question from the previous topic, you mentioned uh, the Floyd case, there was just so much uproar. And I think we've come some ways, but there's still so much more work to do in that area. And, And you have been in the forefront of all of this in the past few years are there certain things that women, especially as leaders, should keep in mind in terms of DEI? What, what have been your observations? I was just reading a
1: really good article in the paper by a female CEO that's probably close to my age because she talked about being in workforce for 40 years. And she said, initially, we were so happy to get in that we just morphed into the men that we worked with. And we had a closet full of suits as I did. And I look so much like the guys that when we would have a company meeting, the two peers that I had, we would compare what suit we were going to wear because we kept showing up in our gray pinstripes or our blue pinstripes back in the eighties. And we looked like the, you know, the triplets. So I think back when we were trying to advise women to adopt male behaviors and male forms of leadership, that has not worked. So now rather than like, hey, women, look at what the men do. I still think there's value on both sides. Hey, women, look at what the men do. And and by the way, I'm not leaving out the whole gender spectrum and non-binary folks, but whatever gender you're identifying with or neither, look at what people who are different than you do and what of that would work for you. Because sometimes we can't see what we can't see, but we have to shift the system. We have to break the system the way it is now and really shift that system to work for everybody in it. And that... I feel we've done a good job with shifting things initially, but boy, it is nowhere near where it needs to be, nowhere near where it needs to be. So for the women out there, let's do our best to be part of the change and find the male allies that will speak our truth when the times are tough and we feel like we're being marginalized or not. Listen to who are your male allies out there who can put a word in, who can call on you and say, hey, I didn't hear anything from Divya in this last one. Let's let's uh, let's hear what she has to say. To break some of the stereotypes, like if you're, I was frequently the only woman in the room. So then it was, you know, Laurie, speak for all women. And although I was okay taking on that role at the time, I know that's not really where I'd want to be these days. I don't want to speak for all women. My my experiences are different so we have to we have to kind of come together build each other up and build ourselves up and the other thing is i think we need to stop chasing every degree and certification that comes down the road i think that some of my black female friends have some of the most degrees I've ever seen in my life. They might have a couple of masters and a PhD. Did that really shift the system? Well, for her, it did. And she'll never give up all that intelligence and education. But does it actually get her a foot in the door? Perhaps, perhaps not. Because these systems are so entrenched and so white and so male that we have to undo them and work both ways. Yes, for me individually, let's look at what everybody's doing and take on the best. We've got to break the system and, and redo it.
0: Absolutely. Woman, try to prepare until you are like perfect before you yes. even aspire for a role, apply for a job, or even think you're good enough to ask for something. And I think that needs to change a little bit as well. And have you seen that shift happening lately? And at what point should we stop uh-huh. contemplating or trying to to better ourselves even more before we attempt something? Tell people what I
1: wanted. I want to get to that role. What would that take? And apparently that wasn't, that was not common, but that's what I did. And it got me ahead faster. You know, I do have white hair now because I was frequently the first one of whatever in the room, but I didn't mind that. Somebody had to break that barrier. Why not me? And I think I go back to Rich saying to me, if not you, who? Because I would come to him, you know, in my 20s and I would be like, they say blah, blah, blah. And he'd say, Speak for yourself, not for them. If they want to tell me something, they can come in here and you can encourage them to do so. Speak only what you are doing. And then I'd be like, How come they aren't fixing this, that, and the other thing? And he'd say, Why aren't you fixing this, that, and the other thing? If not you, who? I had good leadership models there without even knowing it and patterned myself accordingly. But I did feel that, I did feel it coming at me that didn't have a degree. I talked to a friend at the time. She was my only PhD friend. Now they're everywhere who I run with. But she said to me, how old are you now? And I was in my late thirties. And she said, get your degree and get on with your life. And so I had to like put the bar in place there and get that. Ask for what you want. Stop trying to chase it. It's not that you shouldn't credential yourself. And if you ever have a hope for all the learning and development people out there who ever have a hope of Doing this on their own, get all the certifications you can while you're under your employer's umbrella because those things are expensive. And what I learned from my business coach is, and I'm going to read it right off the wall it's not how, it's who. So now instead of me saying, well, you know what, this one company came and they asked me if I had the Hogan assessment. I do not. In the old days, I might have gone and chased the Hogan because I got to check that box. I don't have to chase that. I know people who are Hogan certified that could come in under me as a subcontractor and do the Hogan assessments if that's what that company uses. I don't have to have everyone. I have to know who... Or have a network where I can go to that's to say, who do I know that's Hogan certified? I need somebody on my bench of people. And if we looked at it that way, like we'll fill it in that way. I know that's not the way the corporate environment works per se, but they seem to want you to check every box. I think that employers are starting to get the drift, that that's a silly notion. And men have always been promoted without checking every box, whereas women feel like they've had to just to get looked at. And it's true.
0: So during all of this time, do you feel working with women, are there certain types of attitudes or approaches or mindsets that we need to kind of work on to really change how we look at things, our perspectives, to get the most out of any situation?
1: Having a good support system around you, people that you can talk to, especially that are your peer level or higher, can really help. And the thing that I would say that I remember most from all female environments where the predominantly female environments was we would and I'm not saying all oh, women do this I'm going back 20 30 years we would sit down and we would rip something apart and everything would talk about everything that was wrong with it what I know now I'm an, I'm a Reiki master so I do energy healing and energy work and things like that I know that we get more of what we focus on so if we want to see the bad in the world it's right there it's really easy to see. Same thing with social media. It's right there. It's right easy to see. Be careful what you let into your energy boundaries. What I think is most difficult is as women are taking a step up, taking a step up, sometimes we have to change our peer group. And that gets really hard because we've got our friends there, but maybe our friends aren't the best ones to support us to that next level. Some of them you'll need to leave behind. And that's a really hard conversation and really hard to just get your head around. Sometimes those people are relatives and we can't necessarily just get away from them like we wish we could, but boy, it's important, like where your thoughts go and who you surround yourself with that will help you level up to that next level, if that's what you want. But being intentional, I think, and looking at who you let in and what you let into your thought processes, big difference, big, big change.
0: Big comment we hear from a lot of our listeners that provide feedback is you You know, when they are in certain situations, they feel that they're not being heard. Maybe because they're women, Mm -hmm. primarily they think that's the reason. In such situations, what helps? Well, it doesn't help
1: from my perspective, was what I always did, which was yell louder, because then you get a reputation for that. But I remember going to a power language and power uh, positioning of the body and all that. I'm five 2 I'm not a big woman. Nobody messes with me. So a lot of it is how you embody it. That's one of the things. Sometimes you need to ally with one another. If there's, let's say, two women in a meeting and 10 guys, you ally with a man in there too, that says... You know, I think Laurie was talking and nobody listened to that idea. That's an issue. And I remember hearing about women in the Obama administration who were in a lot of male-dominated meetings began to align together and not let the conversation move on until they had been heard. So they weren't. They made that agreement before they ever got in a room. By the way, that's something that men do. Um, they do have meetings outside of meetings and form alliances and all that. So women can do that in a powerful way. Like if this happens again, let's do this and they think it out ahead of time so that way you're not triggered into anger or yelling louder because there's nothing worse than you putting an idea out there and then a a man or another woman for that matter comes up and says the same thing and people are like oh my gosh that's the best thing that just makes you resentful and bitter over time it's happened to me a lot so planning ahead is big
0: if you had to go back and redo something in your life what would that be? I told you offline what I would say, which is don't marry that boy. The first one, I would do things
1: from a place of power rather than feeling a lack or feeling a fear. I think I would peel off the fear earlier and do things quicker than I did. If I had to go back again, I don't have a whole lot of regrets overall, the way I did my life. I figure I'm where I'm supposed to be at any given time. And that's the way it's meant to be. But I've made a lot of choices. And you know, that I do believe in self-choice, it would be doing things faster and from a place of feeling grounded and centered versus triggered by fear.
0: Okay, You also ride jet skis. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that.
1: I haven't in a long time now because I'm in Arizona and we, we do have lakes and things like that. But sometimes around here, you need a four-wheel drive to get to places and I don't have one anymore. But in my youth, or in my younger days before age 40 and into my forties, I like jet skis. I don't really swim. Um, I like to go fast. There's nothing like being on that on the water uh, to really feel alive. And it it surprised me because again, I was like, Oh, I'll just ride along with somebody. And then I was like, I don't like this. You get the water in your face and I'm going to have water in my face. I want my own water. Thanks very much. And uh, it was, it's a really cool feeling. So I just, haven't lately, but it's because of lack of uh availability, shall we say. It's a lot of fun.
0: Hopefully you'll find a water body close by soon enough. I hope by. <laughs> yes, I hope so. So laurie this has been such a good conversation. Any closing comments for our listeners? I would say get to know yourself, be true to yourself, figure out what really
1: energizes you and makes you tick, bring more of that in and less of the other stuff and things begin to just sync up and come together.
0: Thank you so much. This was great. Really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you.